Thanks for listening to the Wellspring Church Podcast. Wow. As you guys are taking your seat, let me just close us in prayer really quickly. Father, thank you for your goodness, that you are chasing us down with your goodness and you want to bless our lives and that you have been so, so faithful. And I pray that right now in this room, we would just begin to make space for gratitude because you are so good. Would you just open up our hearts and prepare us for what you wanna teach us today and for what you want to make us aware of. It's in your son's name that we pray, amen. My name is April Colquitt. If you don't know me, I'm on staff here at Wellspring. Thank you. Um, I'm our children's pastor and I serve on our communicators team and so I always love getting to be here and spending the morning with you guys, um, with adults. It's pretty cool. Um, I love teaching kids but it's totally different when I get to teach adults and so um, I'm excited for today. If you've been following us in this series, um, The Art of Gratitude, you know that for the last few weeks we have been practicing gratitude. And what we've been learning is that gratitude is not something that comes naturally. It is not something that just comes pouring out of us. While we have um, an inclination, we believe that gratitude is something that we should all embrace, it's not necessarily something that we readily express. It takes intentionality and it takes us making a purposeful decision and taking steps to grow in the practice of gratitude that it might become a habit that does more naturally come pouring out of us that we might more readily express it. And so last week, um, Trey talked about accountability, which is simply the um, practice, I forgot to talk about the app slide, by the way, if you follow us on social media or if you wanna go back and listen to the messages that you've missed, you can. But accountability, which is what we talked about last week, is just simply saying thank you. Once we become aware that God has done something in our life when he's answered a prayer, when he has provided for us, just simply recognizing that he has sent Jesus to rescue us, when we recognize that God has done something for us, we say thank you to him. Or there might be people in our life, there probably are people in your life who have impacted you, who have inspired you, who've done something kind for you and made a difference in your life, and we should take a moment, pause, and say thank you to those people. But until we grow in awareness, which is what we talked about in week one, we won't be accountable to saying thank you. We have to first be aware of all the good things in our life. And so Trey started talking in in week one about how we have a very narrow vision of our life. And he used a paper towel tube to illustrate the way that we tend to look at each of our lives. It's like looking through a tunnel with tunnel vision and all we see are the bad things about our life. All we see are the things that we don't like, what's not going well, that's not working out the way that we hoped and planned. And with that vision, we lack an awareness of all of the things that we really have to be grateful for. Simple things like the air in our lungs and the sunrise and a warm cup of coffee or laughter. When we're looking through, through this view, through the end of a paper towel tube, all we tend to focus on is the things that we don't like about our life. And so what we've been doing for the last two weeks is simply praying a prayer and asking God to expand our awareness, that with his help, we will begin to be more aware and be able to see all of the things that we really do have to be grateful for. And I kind of wanna stay on this thought for a minute and tell you what I have become aware of in the last few weeks. 
Several months ago, a friend of mine gave me a book of poetry and prayers, which I don't typically read poetry, but one of the poems in the book is about gratitude. And the opening line of that poem says, how beautiful it is to clear the room for gratitude. And the second that I read that line, it struck me because it's an indicator that there is something cluttering up our life that prevents us from actually being able to feel grateful. And that we have to make space and we have to clear away whatever is in the way that's keeping us from feeling grateful. And so as we ask God to expand our awareness, I believe that we also should ask God to expand our awareness of anything that is blocking our ability to be grateful. Ask him to show us and make us aware of anything that is standing in the way of feeling grateful. I wanna go back to the paper towel tube for just a moment because when we look through this and we have this view, we tend to look and think about all of the things in our life that we don't like because we are staring so hard at someone else's life. We are looking and thinking and focusing on all of the things that aren't good in our life because we're staring so hard at what someone else has. We see what they have, we see what they've accomplished, we see what they, um, how their relationships are, what their family dynamics are like, we see where they went on vacation, and it seems to dismiss or minimize what we've been able to accomplish. It dismisses our success. It dismisses our talent and our ability and our family life. Isn't it true that we start comparing our lives to other people and looking at what they have and that's when we start to realize that what we have isn't enough, that we need more or that we want better we might like our life for a moment. You know, you just got married and you're finally moving into your first apartment with your spouse and you're so happy about it until you recognize that your best friend just got married and they're buying their first house together. Or maybe you really, really love your job and what you do and you couldn't ask for a better job, but then all of a sudden you start to stare at your coworker and you realize that they're getting more recognition, more credit than you. It's when we start to look at other people's life that we start to feel like ours isn't good or it's not good enough and we want better and we think we deserve better. Oftentimes we call this comparison or you might've heard it called the comparison trap and it is very much a trap, but the Bible simply calls it envy. It's probably not a word that comes up when you play Mad Libs with your kids. It's just not a word that we use in our vocabulary. It's certainly not a word that we use to describe the way that we feel. We might say that we are envious in order to make someone else feel good. Like, have you ever said, I really envy your singing voice. I wish I could sing like that. Or you might have said it to judge someone else. Oh, don't worry about them. They just envy you, that's all. But rarely do we ever use the word envy to describe how we feel. And it may not be that we're trying to avoid saying it. I think that more often than not, we're not even aware when it started growing in our own front yard. I wanna show you a picture of something that you might recognize. If you are from the South, or if you've ever driven through back roads in the South, you have definitely seen this stuff. 
And even if you don't know what it's called, you've absolutely seen it if you've driven around the Southeast. It's called kudzu. And kudzu is this fast-growing, invasive vine, and it takes over everything in its path if it's left alone. If kudzu is left to grow, it will grow over the side of houses, it will grow up and over telephone poles and, and wires, it will grow over whole entire hillsides like we see in this picture. Kudzu is actually nicknamed the vine that ate the South. And it makes perfect sense. I'm from Alabama and kudzu is everywhere. When it got introduced to the environment, it just spread like crazy. And now it's even up into the Northeast and the Midwest and it's all over the place because it is so invasive and so fast growing. And the reason that I wanted to show you a picture of kudzu is because the nature of kudzu, I believe, perfectly illustrates what envy does to us. Envy is like the kudzu of our heart. And when it is left alone, it is so fast growing and so invasive that it touches not just on material possessions like we might think about first, but envy can invade every area of our life, touching on our relationships, on our identity, on our self-worth. It will grow over every single thing in its path because it is that invasive and that dangerous and that fast growing. And when I think about envy and the way that it grows over our heart and prevents us from being able to see what God is really doing and to see the gifts in our own life, I realize it's just like kudzu because kudzu will grow over and block out all the other vegetation and in the same way, envy will grow over our lives and it will block out all the fruit and the vegetation in our life that God has given us. Envy is the kudzu of our heart and envy is the enemy of gratitude. Envy and gratitude cannot coexist. And you might be thinking of some ways that envy has infiltrated your life and it certainly has mine, but it's not just my idea. The authors of the Bible in both the Old Testament and the New Testament warn us of the dangers of envy. And I love the way, not I love the way, but I appreciate the way that the writer of Proverbs says it because he is so clear. He talks about envy this way. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. A heart at peace is a grateful heart because when we're grateful, we feel so much more peace. It is so much more life-giving, as he says, but envy rots us from the inside out. It literally makes us sick. It lies to us. It makes us feel shame because we start feeling like what we have isn't enough and not good enough, and it's dismissive to our life. Envy is so dangerous and so fast-growing, and more importantly, it hurts our relationship with God and it hurts our relationship with other people because we cannot be both grateful and envious at the same time. I find it really interesting that the author of this proverb was a man named Solomon. Solomon was known as one of the wisest men to ever live, but Solomon was the son of David, who you probably have heard of, King David. He was the king of Israel, the nation of Israel. Before that, he killed Goliath, you're probably familiar with that story. And David was the envy of a man named King Saul. 
who was king before David. And Saul became so envious of David that it literally ruined his life and impacted his leadership and it rot him from the inside out. If you don't know the story, I'll give you sort of the Cliff Notes version. The nation of Israel, ironically, wanted a king and they didn't have one and they saw other nations who had a king and they were envious of those nations. They thought if they had a king too, they would grow in power and success and so they asked God for a king and God actually granted their request. And he chose Saul to be the first king of Israel. And at the time that God hand-selected Saul, he was called a man above standing. That's what the Bible tells us, that he was called a man above standing. That means that he was better looking, he was more charming, and he was um, more intelligent than everybody else. And so God chose him to be the first king of Israel. And the prophet Samuel told Saul when he was um, selected to be the king that if he would follow God and obey God, he would be successful in everything that he did. And so for a while, Saul was successful, but as he grew in power, he also grew in pride. And he started making decisions based out of arrogance, based off of um, his pride and his arrogance, and it was foolish decisions. And so God began to raise up a new king. And that new king would be a young shepherd boy named David. And Saul didn't know it at the time, but one day, David comes to the battlefront while Israel is in war against the Philistines, and you probably know this part of the story. David shows up, and through a series of events, he ends up killing the giant Goliath with one swing of a slingshot. And Saul was so impressed with David and what he could do that he invited David to be a part of his army. He invited him to even travel with him in his royal caravan. And Israel began winning all of the battles against the Philistines, which made Saul look pretty good as king. And David became an overnight success. He became popular instantly, overnight. And so as they are rolling back into town from battle, we're told this. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, and with timbrels and lyres. So they're coming back into town, the army, and King Saul is leading the way, and all of the people, all of the women, actually, line up to come out and meet Saul and celebrate Israel's victory, which made Saul feel really good. It made him feel really proud of what they had done until he heard what they were singing. He was so excited that all these people had come out to celebrate him until he heard their song. He said, it says, as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And we know from the, the rest of the story, just a few chapters later, we learn that this song basically went viral. Everywhere that David went, they were like, aren't you the guy from that TikTok video? Everybody knew David, and David somehow remained humble, but Saul did not. This song became a seed of envy in Saul's head and in his heart. And the more he thought about it, the more it bothered him. It says, Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. 
what more can he get but the kingdom? It says, from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. David started getting all of the credit and Saul noticed and he basically put the paper towel tube to his eyeball and stared at everything David did. He watched him closely. He watched everything David did and we can just imagine what Saul must have been thinking. He's better looking than me, he's younger than me, he's more athletic than me, he's more skilled in battle than me, he's getting more attention than me, they like him more than me, I'm just a nobody, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms, you know? <laughs> just, just completely had a pity party, began to feel worthless and completely dismissed in his role as a king because envy spread like kudzu through his heart and it just wrapped its vines around Saul's heart. And he became so envious that he basically went on a mission to end David's life. Saul put David out on the front lines of battle hoping that the Philistines would kill him and when that didn't work, he left the palace himself and went and hunt for David. He could think about nothing else except outdoing David because he was so envious of David's popularity and David's fame and what everybody was saying about David. And it absolutely ruined Saul's ability to lead Israel. It ruined his relationship with his son and impacted his reputation as king. And eventually Saul was so miserable with envy that he fell on his own sword. That's how dangerous envy is. Envy is the enemy of gratitude. Saul stopped being appreciative of what David could do for Israel because he became so envious of him and began to hate him. Envy is the enemy of gratitude. The two cannot coexist. And so the question for us is, what does that mean for us? Because we are human, right? We cannot go through life with blinders on and we're gonna see things and we're gonna notice things. And so what does that mean for us? I just cannot help but wonder if when Solomon wrote this verse, he was thinking of his father, David, and the infamous King Saul. It says, when a heart, a heart of peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. It's crazy how quickly Saul forgot that God had hand-selected him to be the first king of Israel and how quickly he forgot that all he had to do was follow God and obey him and he would have been successful in everything that he did as a king, but he forgot. And so for us, what that means is that envy will rot our bones, but only if we choose to ignore it. We cannot go through life blinded and we are gonna see things, sometimes we're gonna feel envy, we're gonna battle envy because we're human. But I believe that God's warning about envy rotting the bones, he tells us that because it's preventable, right? A few months ago, I threw my back out really badly. I had gone to the doctor last February and she x-rayed my back and she said, if you do not go to the doctor, I mean, if you don't start going to physical therapy, you're gonna wind up with a herniated disc. And I ignored her. <laughs> it, was, it did not end well and she was right. And I ended up with a herniated disc. The point is, 
Envy will rot our bones, but only if we choose to ignore it, only if we're not accountable to it. And believe it or not, it goes back to everything that we've been learning for the last couple of weeks about awareness and accountability. We can be accountable to treating envy, but only if we're first aware of it. But with God's help, we can weed out envy from our life and we can make room for gratitude. We can make room, we can clear the room for gratitude and get rid of everything that's blocking our ability to be grateful. But the first thing that I think that we have to do is be aware of it. We have to take inventory of envy. We have to find out, is it there? And so if you're wanting to make room for gratitude to flow out of your heart, clear the room in your heart by first starting with envy. Take inventory, is it there? Who or what are you envious of? But more importantly, why are you envious? We have to get to the root of where that envy is coming from so that we can allow God to heal it, so that we can deal with it properly. Think back to Saul for a moment. Saul was very envious of David's popularity, but why? Why did it bother him so much that David became popular and got more credit than he did? I wasn't there, you weren't there, we're not in Saul's head, but maybe Saul had a desire, a core need for approval, for acceptance, to get credit for his work. Those are not bad things. We all want approval, we all want credit where credit is due, but Saul was never going to get satisfaction in seeking approval and credit from people. He would always come up short. The only one who could truly satisfy Saul was God. And so getting to the root of where our envy is growing from is important because it's the only way that we're gonna be able to allow God to really start healing those places in our heart and allowing him to satisfy those needs. And your envy could be rooted in discontentment. It might be rooted in relationship and your experiences with those. Your envy could be rooted in your self-worth and your identity. It could be related in your idea of, rooted in your idea of success. I don't know where envy comes from for you, and you might not either right now, and that's okay. That's okay. That is what God does. He helps us with that, and he can help us, and he can heal us. And you're in the right place, because we have people here who will talk you through it, pray with you, they will point you to resources to help you figure it out. But it is important that we understand if envy has become a vine around our heart, and that we get to the root of where it's coming from so God can start to heal it. And once we take inventory of envy, then we're accountable to actually treating it. And the way that we do that is we have to starve it. We have to take away what feeds envy. We have to take it away and prevent it from spreading any further. And so there might be several ways that you could do that. For me, I'll tell you a, a story from my own experience, and you might think this is silly, but that's okay. I'm being vulnerable with you, um, and you are free to laugh at me, but several years ago, I had to take away Target from my shopping experience. <laughs> I did. I would go into Target to buy diapers, for the kids, not for me. I would go in to buy diapers, and I would see all of these things that I wanted and I would leave thinking, I need to redecorate my entire house and change my whole wardrobe. 
That's what it made me think because I would see all of these other things that made me feel like what I had in my house and what I had in my closet weren't good enough. And it was rooted in discontentment. I was just discontent in a season of my life because I couldn't go in there and get everything that I wanted. Eric would have killed me if I did that. <laughs> it was rooted in discontent. And so understanding the root of our envy is important so that we know what is feeding it and that we can take it away. And maybe you take it away permanently, maybe you take it away for a season, maybe you put tight limitations around it, I don't know. It could be that you need to take away social media for a while. When we get on social media and we start scrolling, 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 and all we see is the highlight reels of everybody else's life and it diminishes our own experiences in our daily life. Or you maybe just need to get off of Pinterest where everything looks better than it actually is. <laughs> Nothing is that good. Maybe for you, you need to think about the people and the groups of people that you spend time with and where those conversations go and where it takes you in your heart and put limitations or maybe remove it for a period of time. Maybe you, knew, you like me, you need to stop window shopping, whether it's in person or online. You need to change your shopping experience Stop going on Amazon and looking at today's daily deals. I know I'm saying that right here at Christmas time, but God will give you self-control. I will tell you that I can go into Target, buy toothpaste and walk, walk out happy. And I don't say that to brag on myself or so you'll give me a special award. I say that out of experienced proof that God can and will heal envy when we are accountable to it. But we have to be accountable to stopping the spread by removing the things in our life that are just feeding it and making it worse. The best place for us to start is by spending time in God's presence through prayer and through worship. Because the more aware that we are, the more able that we are to simply take comfort in God's gifts. We just take comfort in God's gifts. Just like a good parent knows how to give good gifts to their children. Our heavenly father knows how to give good gifts to us. He knows exactly what we need. He knows the desires of our heart and he wants to satisfy those things for us and he's the only one who truly can. Taking comfort in God's gifts is exactly what David did. When Saul was chasing after him and trying to end his life, he was taking comfort and trusting in God's good gifts for his life, his plan, and his purpose. And we know that David had bad days. David was anxious and David battled envy and he felt depressed sometimes. We know it because he wrote down so much of it in prayers and songs that are recorded in the book of Psalms. But the great thing about Psalms is that we can look at it and read David's words and see that he put practices in place that helped him to maintain that heart of peace that his son Solomon talked about. I love Psalm 16 because it's a great example of the practices that David put in place for him to maintain a heart of peace. Regardless of what his environment was and how he was feeling, he worshiped God and he recognized that every good thing in his life was because of God in his life. He recognizes God as his perfect provider, his perfect protector, and his perfect peace. I wanna show you what he says in Psalm 16. 
David said, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. He's basically saying, God, you are enough for me. Every bit of security that I have is only because of you, God. Isn't it true that we look for security in people and possessions and our career and in money, but God is the only one who can satisfy our needs. He is the sole satisfaction for everything that we need and everything that we desire. And David recognized that and he thanked God. He said, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. He recognizes that every good gift in his life, every purpose and path that God has for his life, and even every limitation was for his good. He trusted that everything God had purposed and planned and limited him with was for his good. You know, we look at other people's life and it looks different than ours. Their house looks different, their vacations look different, their families look different, their relationships look different, but it doesn't mean that our life is any less wonderful or that the gifts God has given us are any less blessed just because ours doesn't look like someone else's. David understood that and he says this, therefore, because he understood that God was his total and complete security and his true satisfaction, he says, therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body will also rest secure. His body will rest secure. That means he was at peace. And a peaceful heart is a grateful heart that gives us life. Envy will rob us and rot us from the inside out. It will destroy us. It seeks to diminish the very gifts that God has put in our life and make us believe that they're not enough. Envy takes from us that God wants to give up to us. He wants to satisfy us. Envy is the enemy of gratitude. And if we can just begin to clear the room of our heart and make room for gratitude by rooting out envy, then we can start to see all of the things that we truly have to be grateful for. Big things and small things. Make room for gratitude by taking inventory of envy, taking away what feeds envy, and simply taking comfort in God's gifts. Every week for the last few weeks in this series, we've been giving you some time in here to pause and start practicing these things in your life before you ever walk out the door that we are working on the practice of gratitude and learning how to express it. And so I'm gonna give you some time to do that right now. We're gonna start right now making room for gratitude in our heart so that we walk into the week of Thanksgiving more grateful than we ever are. So I wanna ask you just to close your eyes and we're just gonna take a couple of minutes to start taking inventory of envy. You can just get still. I like to take a couple of deep breaths. 
And as you start to take inventory of envy in your heart, I want you to be rooted in the truth that God is not disappointed with you. He is not mad at your envy. He has so much unconditional love and he wants to meet you with his mercy and his grace right now. Ask God to show you who or what you're envious of and where it's rooted. Where is it coming from? Why are you feeling that way? you to start to think about what might be feeding those feelings in your heart. What are you seeing? What are your eyes looking at? What are you hearing? What habits in your life are causing envy to spread and grow? What might you be able to take away to stop the spread? I want you to ask God to give you the self-control and the discipline to do it, to follow through and be accountable to envy. Now, I want you just to begin to think on God's goodness, on the gifts that he's put in your life, what he's doing in you and around you and through you. Thank him for it. Father, we thank you that you are our portion and our cup. You alone make our lot secure. And we just recognize and appreciate that the boundary lines have fallen for each one of us in pleasant places. Thank you that we have a delightful inheritance in you, Jesus. God, our heart is glad and we rejoice in you and we will rest securely in peace knowing that you are our perfect provider. You are our protector, and you alone are our peace, our place of safety, and we seek satisfaction in you alone. Thank you for how you fill our hearts. God, as we walk into this week of not just Thanksgiving, but beginning to celebrate with our family and our friends the Christmas season, Will you help us to continue to clear our hearts that we can make room for gratitude? We have so much to be grateful for, God, and we give you the praise, and we give you the glory, and we give you the honor, Father, because you alone deserve it. It is in your son's name that we pray, amen.